Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And today we are discussing the second half of The Magician. We're a third of the way through our second series, The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel by Michael Scott. We're a new podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. Yep. As best friends, we've always wanted to share certain books with each other. So we turned the project of reading books together into a podcast. We started with a series that Asia had read, and then we moved on to this one, which I had read. So you get a range of perspectives, mine from rereading it and Asia's from reading it for the first time. Part of the way we run the show is that the newcomer to the series, me in this case, gets to summarize the reading in case you couldn't read along with us. So I'll quickly summarize the second half of The Magician. Needhog and the Deseer attack the house and basically destroy the house and half of Paris, capturing Scatty with Josh chasing after them. While everyone is trying to catch up with them, Josh runs off with Dee and Machiavelli and they offer to help him get his powers awakened. Our crew catches up and frees Scatty, only to have Dagon jump her and pull her into the Seine River. All of our people finally end up in the catacombs, and the elder Mars Oldtor awakens Josh and gives him a gift. Sophie bursts in, and the crew escapes, which makes Dee and Machiavelli really, really mad. Back in San Francisco, the Morrigan comes to Alcatraz to kill Paranel, but Paranel has found the old spider er elder, which her name is Ariopanop. I think, but I'm going to refer to her as AA for the rest of this because I'm sick of these hard to pronounce names, with whom she manages to overpower the Morrigan. So she is reigning on Alcatraz, Scatty is in the river, and Nicholas and the twins are en route to London. And that's basically where we have left off, and I'll just go ahead and give my impressions first. Especially since I'm new to this series, I'm just kind of giving my impression of the overall series, what we've read so far. And I'm definitely enjoying the story, the plot line overall. I think it's a very interesting plot line. I like most of the characters, except Josh. Um, But for me, I think the main turnoff has just been how many scary creatures, specifically the spiders. Just like the description of the billions of spiders crawling through Alcatraz and that makes my skin crawl. And so for me, that kind of takes away from the reading experience, which is why I keep describing this is like, oh, this would be a great horror movie because usually in horror films, they talk about there's certain things they'll use to kind of make the audience uncomfortable, which is kind of what I'm getting, which that could just be a me thing because I don't like I don't like bugs. I'm like disgusted by them. So that's the main turnoff for me. But otherwise, I really am enjoying the plot so far. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds like you. I can give my impression of the reading quickly, too. Basically, when I finished this reading, I was like, this is why I always loved Machiavelli. Because I know I've mentioned that he was one of my favorite characters in the series. And I knew he was going to be a bad guy. And I think I remember kind of like the arc that he goes on throughout the rest of the books. But I wasn't sure why I remembered him so much. And this reading gave me a lot of the validation as to like why he's one of my favorite characters. But we can basically jump right in with Machiavelli and Dee. They're in a car together on the way to 
Germain, um, Francis's house and Machiavelli's kind of needling D. He's like, the elder hell is after you. You've done so many things wrong. You don't ever think things through. And it's really funny because, you know, Machiavelli is about to have that same mistake happen because he takes the DCR and the need hog. But it's really funny that they both have these plans that just don't seem to work out. Yeah. And then we flip over to the twins and Sophie even ends up yelling at Josh that he needs to get over his constant whining, which I know I enjoyed because somebody needs to tell him to shut up. For the first time ever, Sophie really tells him off and she uses the word bitter, which is really aggressive. And it's the first time we've had it, which is awesome. I think that she's really fed up with his petulance and I was very much here for her calling him out justifiably so. But more importantly from this moment, I had to point out that Josh does not know how to wash dishes. I was appalled as I was reading this because he just rinses the dish and puts it in the drying rack. And I was like, no soap, no sponge. I know it was on that dish, Josh, but that is not clean. I was disgusted. Wow, I must have, I actually must have missed that moment, but I'm all for another reason to dislike Josh. (laughs) But then we have the huge action sequence, the battle at the house, and it's kind of nice to see some of the other characters fight because we've mainly just seen Scatty in the fight scenes. And specifically, I enjoyed seeing Joan and Sophie kind of fighting side by side. But I also wrote down that I just thought it was so funny that Francis missed the entire battle in his house because he's he was up in his like studio attic listening to music like way too loud so he didn't hear anything. Yeah, I love that tidbit that he's just incredibly aloof and his wife is out here destroying immortal battle, which is like she's rocking it and he's like, but like listen to this sick beat I just dropped. Yes, and then we get an iconic line after the fight when they are trying to kind of figure out exactly what happened. And Sophie's like, none of this makes any sense because Josh isn't brave. And I was just like, talk about your sister not believing in you. (laughs) Yeah, I laughed out loud at that part. I feel like there's always one part of each reading that we both write down. And I was like, I know it's going to be this moment where Sophie's like, Guys, none of this makes any sense. It's not possible because Josh isn't brave. And then can I ask you something else about the fight that I was thinking about? Yeah, of course. So Sophie seems to be gaining more control of her powers overall. But I was just wondering, when are they going to stop exhausting her so quickly? So I don't think she ever they ever do. I don't think that they ever stop because I could be completely wrong. And she might get a little better at sort of pacing herself. But if I remember correctly, like the auric magic is really burning off of your life force. And because she's always doing this extraordinary magic, she's always using a lot. Like I think all of the characters have really shown that after they do anything magic, they they show fatigue. Except D. D's like beyond the pale. But if you I think that it like she might get a little better for sure, but I do think that because the aura is your like life force, it does exhaust you if you use it. It's more about like her your recovery time or pacing herself. So maybe she does get a little better, but I could I don't think it's going to be like drastic. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it though for sure. Okay. But we actually do end up getting to see that bravery from Josh because he chases after Scatty. And granted, he's only brave enough to do so because he's holding Clarence. And with Clarence, he's got, like, awakened senses and also, like, 
bravery, which he doesn't have otherwise, but at least he does do it. Yeah, and at this point, I had written down, because especially when he's about to go with Dee and Machiavelli, I was like, I really don't... I really don't like Josh and I don't like his character. But at this point, I don't think he'd just voluntarily give up the pages of the codex to D because he still he has them on him. I just I I'm holding out a little bit of hope for him at this point. And we get that confirmation, thank goodness, in a couple chapters. He's like, I'm not planning on giving them to D yet, at least. He's like, I'm not sure who's getting them. So at least he wasn't planning on that, thank goodness. Even though he does say <laughs> Which I was just like, he said that he's not planning on giving them to D until D can prove to him that it's for the right cause. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, that doesn't make any sense because first of all, we know that D is super duper persuasive. So he's just going to lie to you. Like, how can you trust this man, but you can't trust Flamel? I don't know. It's just very annoying. I agree. But then we do have a quick villain conference and D basically has given permission to kill Paranel, and he's sending the Morrigan to do it. And also, Dagon mentions having seen the original twins at some point during their conversation, and I was wondering, who are they? Okay, so I might be a little more fuzzy on this one, and again, I think we get most of the clarity in book six. But if I remember correctly, the original twins were gold and silver on Danutalis. They had gold and silver auras, and they may have been immortal humani, or they may have been some level of elder. I could be completely wrong. But I believe they fought on the main pyramid of the island. And their fight is what caused Danutalis to fall into the Atlantic. And that's what basically caused the shift that the elders no longer rule Earth. I could be completely wrong. And if we have listeners who know the story better than I do, please don't send me hate DMs if I'm wrong. You can send, tell me a, send me a nice DM and say I'm wrong, but please don't hate me. We'll get there eventually. But I, it's something about the prophecy that it is kind of repetitive. And there were a gold and silver twin in the past. And whatever, when they fought, it caused a huge change in the world. That much I definitely know. Okay. I, I have two little comments about your little paragraph that don't really even have anything to do with it besides. One, it's humani. That's how you say it? Yeah. Oh my god. How would you say it? Human eye? Yes. Every time I read in the book, I say human eye because human eye. Oh, I would say humani. Okay. Whatever. That, I just was caught on that word. <laughs> Back to our pronunciation series. This podcast should be renamed Throwback Paperback. <laughs> Two young adults trying to figure out how to pronounce words, even though we both speak English. <laughs> and then the other thing is the Donutalis or whatever. You just said that it's about... An island. I never knew really what that was, which I guess I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Because they constantly talk about it, but I'm like, is it like a time period, a place? Like, I, I, they just it's always all of those things. They just always reference it. And I'm like, I don't really know what that means, but okay. Okay, let me clarify. As much as we have in the story so far. Also, did you hear? Could you hear me clicking my tongue? I just watched a new show on Netflix, and I had the subtitles on, and. It said clicks tongue before basically every sentence a character said. So it was so sassy. And I'm like, maybe I need to channel clicking my tongue. Oh but my that's God. really rude. Anyway, it was a nerdy show. That's why I brought it up. But so Danutalis is the elder continent. It's Atlantis. It's the big continent in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And that's where the elders lived and ruled from when they last ruled the earth. And then 
Donutalis fell into the water because of the twins' battle, if I remember correctly. And that's what caused the elders no longer to rule Earth. Basically, humans were already all over Earth, and they were slaves. And some elders left, like Scatty, for example. She left Donutalis to go defend humans. Or, like, Prometheus gave fire to humans. Or the Witch of Endor, like, went and helped humans. Back when they still, like, had access to go to and from Donutalis. Again, I could be wrong, but I think that's what it is. But basically, when one Donutalis falls into the water, that's the end of the Elder's reign over the Earth. And that's when humans kind of rule. Okay. Again, I think that's right. Okay, I... I feel like they, so that's why they talk before and after the fall, or like the time periods of like elder reign, human reign. Yeah, I feel like they mentioned it like in pieces, but definitely I, I also stuff like that sometimes like that I breeze right over that and I'm not really paying attention. Pitiful. <laughs> but anyway, we should probably go back to the kill Paranel order. Yeah, and actually, let's just cover the whole Paranel story because I know you're not going to like it. So I figured let's just get it all done right now. So really quickly, let me just recap it. But basically, Will Paranel is being hunted by the Sphinx, and then the Morgan shows up as well. And she goes to go find whatever D has imprisoned below Alcatraz. And it turns out to be an elder, Ariapanop, a giant spider. Mm, and gross. I believe Ariapanop is a first-generation elder. Like, she's kind of the level of Mars or Hecate, Hecate, whatever, again. She's, she's more powerful than the Morgan, which is why she's able to beat her. Like, she's... A generation above. But anyway, Paranel and Ariapanops kind of are like frenemies. I know you hate this, Asia. That's why I'm covering the spider section, so you don't have to even say anything. But basically, they decide they're going to work together, and they capture the Morgan. And Paranel's plan is to put her into the magical prison that Dee made for Ariap, which makes sense because the Morgan is weaker, so that magical prison can definitely hold the Morgan if it could hold Ariapanop. And... There isn't a lot to say in this one, except, like, gross spiders. But there's a really clever line from the old spider that I really want to mention. But basically, Paranel's like, I wonder why D didn't kill you like he killed Hakate. And Ariop's like, well, unlike Hakate, I have friends who would have cared and come after me. I, I, I just really enjoyed the little sass that she gave. Like, she's a sassy spider. Asia, is there anything else you want to say about Paranel Flamel spider writer? Absolutely not. Let's move on. Okay, well, just as a reminder, the next book is The Sorceress, and it is named after Paranel. I'm not looking forward to it. Okay, well, let's leave San Francisco until the next book, then, and let's head back over to Paris. Yes, and back in Paris, there was an inspirational quote that I pulled out from when Joan is fighting one of the Desir, and she says that everyone can be defeated, only ideas are immortal. And I just liked that. Like, it was... I just like that idea because it is, especially because they talk about how even the characters that are immortal, like there are still ways that they can die. So I just like that. That's the difference between us. I pull out funny, sassy quotes and you pull out inspirational ones. <laughs> and then right after that, Josh goes with Dean Machiavelli. Stupid. When they just show up and he just goes with them willingly. So for me, I just felt like, this is when I wrote down that I feel that Josh is officially an idiot. I had been holding out hope, but at this point I just think he's not very smart because he basically is like standing with them and he's like, I have to get back to, you know, my sister and Flamel. And they're like, but don't you want to have your powers awakened? 
And I'm like, obviously, if you get your powers awakened with D and Machiavelli, like, you can't trust them. Like, there's going to be some kind of price. And I, like, I would assume that D is going to get a Dark Elder to awaken Josh. So then he'd be forced to serve the Dark Elder. Or then D will more easily be able to steal the pages of the Codex from Josh. So it's just very stupid, in my opinion. Well, also, like, thinking back on it, he doesn't even know that D is in Paris. He's chasing the freaking Komodo dragon and he looks up and D is there and he's like, okay, I'll guess I'll just go with this guy. Like, cause he knows Machiavelli's chasing him and he knows that D is after him, but he has no way of knowing that D is in Paris. And he's like, last time I saw you, I teleported away from California and you're here. I wonder if that's a coincidence. Like, Which I like understand to an extent because, you know, he's about to be like murdered by one of the DCR. So D steps in and kind of basically saves Josh's life. But then he, like, hops in the car to drive them because he knows how to drive. Like, they're old friends or something. Like, I don't know. He's just got no, like, sense of, like... Stranger danger? Yeah. It's just he, like, he could have... It could have been one thing if he's like, oh, I'm going to use them to my advantage right now in this moment. And then I'll bolt at the first chance I get. But then he he doesn't bolt. Yeah, it's one thing if, like, D had saved him and he's like, okay, thank you, but I've got to go. Yeah. But he's, and then he's like, my plan is to have them awaken me and then I'll run away. And I was like, How are you Josh, get away? that makes no sense. That's How, a terrible plan. Also, you've already seen Sophie be awakened and, like, your senses are going to be overwhelmed. You're going to barely be able to move. You're going to have a terrible headache. And it's not like you're going to be in control of any of your powers. So you're not going to be able to fight them. These two, like, magicians who have been around for hundreds and thousands of years, like... You're it not, makes no sense. You're it's not going to be able plan. to escape them. It's a bad plan. Yeah. But then we have some cat and mouse chapters of the good guys chasing the bad guys. Because we learn that Sophie has this really cool tracking ability where she can kind of see the, like, remnants of josh's aura and she can also kind of see d's and machiavelli's which i thought was really cool because then like that's how they're able to follow them down into the catacombs yeah we actually get a lot of cool aura things like one that orc power and we get like a lot of josh and sophie telepathy confirmation where nicholas is like you guys can feel each other's feelings right and like when josh gets hurt sophie can feel it too in the battle like like mm-hmm. i said it or like very first episode i was like watch out for the connection between the two of them because it's more than just like they're very empathetic. Like there's a beyond sympathy. Like they actually can feel each other every now and then. Mm-hmm. And for auras, we get like Dagon says that silver and gold, super rare. The most rare is a black aura. And I can't remember if we meet someone with the black aura, but just for world building purposes, we got our black aura is our most rare. We get confirmation that Germain's is red. Mars's is red. Machiavelli's is gray. Just in case you were keeping a track with all the rainbows of auras, we got some new colors <laughs> confirmed this time. Okay. And then some more world building. We find out that Sophie is afraid of wide open spaces and Josh is afraid of tightly enclosed spaces. So agoraphobia versus claustrophobia. And I might be wrong, but I think that I'm much more like Sophie in this and you're much more like Josh. Like, I feel like I'm more, I'm I'm not agoraphobic, but I would definitely be agoraphobic before I was claustrophobic. And I feel like it's reversed for you, right? Yeah. Well, also because I just don't really understand why would somebody be afraid of an open, wide open space? Like, 
fresh air, you can see the sun, the sky. Like, what about that would scare somebody? This is a podcast, so you can't see me slowly shaking my head. Also, most phobias are, like, almost borderline irrational. Like, that's kind of what, like, sets them apart from, like, just a general fear. But, like, agoraphobia, like, I definitely feel that in a wide open space, I'm much more vulnerable. Like, I could be attacked from any direction. Even in the 21st century, just, like, me walking on a street, I'm like, if it's a wide street, like, there could be more people behind me. I don't like that. I guess, like, but, like, I, if you're in an open space, you can see them coming. But yeah, There's but nothing it's a obstructing space, your view. You can much more clearly... In a tight clearly, space, you're going to be squished by the walls closing in on you. But those uh, walls, like, nothing can go through the wall. So you're, like, protected on Apparently, one side probably, at least. I would, I would bet my life one of these magical beings can walk through walls so you don't stand a chance. Either way. <laughs> okay, well, I definitely am more... <laughs> Again, it's not that I'm not actually agoraphobic, but like I understand. I would I much would, rather be in like a tunnel, a tunnel than of bones, a field. like how they're in the catacombs. I would well, definitely. That's gross. I'd rather be in an open, beautiful field, laying out in relaxation. If somebody was coming to get them, let them come. <laughs> no, no, I'm with Sophie on this one. You're just like Josh. You're just the same person as Josh. Absolutely not. That is <laughs> that is like the worst insult you could possibly give me. Josh is a is an idiot. Let's. Keep me as far away from him as possible. Okay. Also, something I really wanted to mention that was really funny is how this book has aged a little bit. And I mentioned a couple of those in Percy Jackson, too. And it's not even that the book has aged that much. It's just that, it's just that technology has, like, really grown up really fast. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because Francis is like, all the gossip blogs will be reporting, like, a gas leak. And I was like, hmm, a gossip blog? I don't really feel like that's, like... The number one way people get their news these days, we just go straight to Twitter. Yeah. Um, Like, gossip blogs, specifically, like, a blog. I'm like, do people still have blogs? I mean, you could almost think of, like, Twitter kind of, like, I feel like is gossip blog. It's just short. It's abbreviated. It's brief. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of people, like, had their own individual blogs, like, at the beginning of the 2000s. I mean, yeah, Gossip Girl. Exactly. And I'm like, no one has a blog anymore. I mean, there are blogs. I wouldn't necessarily. There are definitely still blogs. They're just not nearly as popular because it's why would like you make your, your fans your, right? What? It's more for like reaching fans. Yeah, rather like than I feel like, like news. YouTubers and stuff might have blogs like for fitness or organization or something. But usually, you can kind of get the same effect of having a blog as you can with different social media social accounts. Social media, yeah. So and like, I feel like just social media because it's more brief. Like the brevity of yeah, social media short, has taken over, whereas blog was like a long post. Because it's feeding the like short attention spans that we all pretty much have now. Yep. But anyway, then we finally get to the catacombs, and the elder they want to awaken Josh is Mars Ultor, and he was the god of war and the defender of humanity. But I guess now he's changed into what they call the Avenger. Yeah, I can't remember if we get all the exact details on, like, Mars's change. But basically, he used to be, like, very pro-human, and now he's, like, more anti-human. But um, I wanted to mention this whole section because, as I mentioned, Machiavelli is so nice to Josh. Like, when Dee and Machiavelli are like, do you want to be awakened? And D's, Josh is like, yes. And he's like, yes, you will be awakened. I will awaken you myself. And Machiavelli is like, do you really want that? Like, why are you doing this? Are you just doing this because of your sister? Are you doing it because you want power? Like, I feel like he's being really considerate. I don't know if I would describe Machiavelli 
as being kind and considerate. I think he's being manipulative. He's getting Josh to trust him over D to make it seem like he cares about him. Because even Josh makes a comment when he's like, I would rather have Machiavelli. And I'm like, Machiavelli, uh, Machiavelli is literally a snake. Like that is what a snake would do. He'd get you to trust him so that he like he will literally trick you into doing what he wants as opposed to like D where he's going to use force and make you do it. Machiavelli's going to get like Stockholm syndrome. He's going to get you to like him, trust him so that you believe in the same things he does. So that eventually you'll just do his dirty work. That's how I see it. And Josh is stupid and gullible. So he would totally fall for that. Yeah. But I still feel like there is a politeness to Machiavelli that I just like as a decent human appreciate. Like, yes, I agree that there's definitely a manipulative streak to Machiavelli. Machiavelli to me is just smarter than D. Yeah. So it's and it's just like, I guess I would be annoyed by D. Like I, cause well, I get annoyed by like stupid, um, bombastic people. And I would be really frustrated with D because he's like, there's no pretense no. that it's not all for him. Yeah. Whereas like Machiavelli, I think that he was smarter because obviously somebody's going to respond better if you're attempting to be kind to them and show them, treat them with more of like a respect. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he actually like respects or cares about Josh, but he's thinking, well, he's going to respond to me better. Like, I think that he does, but I could be wrong or I could be remembering something subconsciously. I do think that Machiavelli actually is considerate. He definitely has his own motives for sure. Like he's still. Well, that's true because they talk about that too of which Mars makes the comment that he's like, it's clear that D serves the Dark Elders and Machiavelli seems a little bit more unclear like who he serves. And I also think because again, I feel Machiavelli is a smarter character because I feel like he's the one that he's just going to choose the winning side. So for right now, he's obviously on the dark side because. He has a dark elder who's making him immortal, but, like, if things turn around, he is kind of probably wants to keep his options open so he can switch over. Yeah, I would agree with that. Again, we'll see what happens. But either way, I just respond to politeness. But I do think it was really funny when, like, they're right before they get to the awakening and Josh is like, I think I'd like to turn around now. And Machiavelli is like, dude, it's you're it's too late you've come too far even i cannot save you from your stupidity you're either leaving awakened or you're leaving dead i was i was i was very here for it i was like tell josh like he needs to be ripped and right outside that chamber we have flamel who's like i really didn't want him awakened by just anyone because they might have some strings attached and then and lo and behold josh's powers have been awakened, but at a price, and we don't know what that price will be, so I'm assuming we'll find out soon enough. And Mars also gives him a gift. He, like, presses his hand onto his head and is like, I'm going to give you this gift. And I'm super curious as to what this gift was. Let's circle back to the gift in one second, because, yeah, we'll circle back to it, because it's important-ish. But, yeah, we get confirmation. Mars is like, you will owe me. You will always like have a favor that you owe me. So yeah, Flamel again, once again was right. He was like, at least, you know, Hecate may have been really, really crazy, but she and temperamental and emotional, but she didn't give them any strings. She was like, if you're ready, you can have the power. Whereas Mars was like, you will owe me a favor. Yeah, and we also find out that it was Endor who cursed Mars' aura to calcify, calcify like that, which is why he's, like, become the sleeping god. 
And then D, as they're leaving, D ends up wrapping him up in liquid bone, which this seemed quite scary. Gross. And before that, Mars was actually, when Sophie, like, busts in the door to get her brother, Mars actually appeared to be a little bit scared of her, and he begged her to lift Andor's curse on him, which I thought was very interesting dynamic. Sophie, this teenage girl who's barely had her powers weakened, which we know they're supposed to be very powerful, like, standing up to this dark elder who's, like, kind of afraid of her. Yeah. But then I just noted because... I think maybe Machiavelli said something, but now D apparently has killed two elders, so he's got a lot of enemies, so they might be coming for him later on. Yeah. D is really protected because, if I remember correctly, his elder master is, like, the top, 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 but also, like, still, D's methods are clearly making people angry. I don't think that he's actually killed Mars, I think he's just wrapped him in the bone. So so Mars is going to be pretty mad, but I don't think, like, he can't move. But I think he will need help to get out. I, may, I could be wrong. Okay. And I don't know if we consider Mars full Dark Elder or just mean. Mm-hmm. I, we will get more answers of Mars. I think it's in the next book. I can't remember exactly. But Mars, his plotline is not done. And... He, yeah, it's, he's, he's pissed though. Like he is. I'm sure. Steamed. And also he's like, I'm going to hold D responsible for everything that happened. And I was like, thank goodness. Like D is responsible for everything that happened. Well, yeah. Like finally someone is holding D to account. And so, like I said, he'll need some help getting out of the bone. Speaking of getting out, we have our gargoyle escape. And before that, I have a question of. About Flamel, because right after Josh has been awakened, he makes a comment that maybe the awakening of the twins might not have been the correct decision, which was was his thinking that, you know, because if D gets his hands on them, they could be used for evil because they're super duper powerful. And like Machiavelli even says that whoever controls the twins controls the world. So I was thinking, did he say that because he's worried that they could be used by the Dark Elders ultimately to like end the world as we know it? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's because Sophie and Josh join their powers because she's doing like the really harsh harsh magic against the gargoyles. And she's like, I don't have any aura left. And Josh is like, here, take some of mine. And like together, they're like in Unstoppable. And I think that that's kind of where Flamel is kind of like, I mean, I wanted them to be able to protect themselves, but if they end up in the wrong hands, like they really truly can reshape the world. And they also work really well together as a team, which like if you can convince one of them to go bad, the other one probably will follow because they're super close. Yeah, which is just unfortunate because we already know that Josh would probably be the one to go bad and Sophie not wanting to abandon her brother might go with him, which is just stupid. You should abandon your brother, Sophie. Truly. Truly in this case. Also, I really loved in that gargoyle moment when Machiavelli has been recording D the whole time because D's like, I'm just going to blame you and everyone will just like take it because you live in Paris and I don't. And Machiavelli is like, I have a tape recorder. Are you really going to do that? I was like, yes, I love the rivalry. I love the drama between them. Also, 
During the gargoyle fight, we get the hint about what Mars's gift is. Did you figure it out? No. Please tell. Would you like me to spoil Please it? Please tell us. I missed okay. it. It's not really as big of a spoil anyway. Um, it's kind of very similar to the way we discussed Endor, giving all of her memories to Sophie. Mm-hmm. Mars gives Mars is the god of war. He gives Josh all of his battle strategy and battle knowledge, which is... And they're going to figure that out very soon. But basically, if you remember reading it, when they're fighting the gargoyles, Josh all of a sudden is like, a commander always takes the high ground. I don't know how I know that. And everyone's like, yeah, we don't know how you know that either. It's because Mars gave him all of his battle knowledge. Oh, okay. Yeah, I definitely So it's kind of similar that. where like we got that hint slash kind of were told. Because when Sophie... When they're in Ojai, she kind of draws on some of the witch's memories. And it's not until, like, the next, like, first two chapters of the second book where they're like, oh, she gave her all the knowledge. Very soon we'll figure out that Mars gave him all of his battle memories. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we got that hint. So if you were reading along and you caught it, well done. If you didn't, no worries. I just spoiled it for you. Please keep listening to the podcast. (laughs) And then going back, we see that Scatty is still missing because, you know, we just kind of forgot about her during this section of the book because she's just gone but flamel is super confident that she defeated dagon underwater i remember the first time i read this book because i always loved scatty and i was like we haven't had scatty for so long because during the battle she's not fighting because needhog like kind of takes her out and then as soon as we get scatty back she like gets driven into the water and i was just heartbroken the first time i read the book of course I knew that Scatty was going to live when I read it this time. So, but also like we have this chat, like a chapter where Joan is kind of like, I will avenge my friend. And I'm like, Joan thinks she's dead too. Like, and you have every reason to think so because she, she's very, very tired. Dagon is vicious and he's ready to go. But I love that Flamel's like, guys, she's definitely alive. And I'm like, I feel like you could have told them that. I feel like you could have told Scatty I mean, Sophie and Joan that because they were like pretty depressed. And he's like, she's definitely alive. She doesn't even have to breathe. Yeah. She just doesn't like getting wet. And I was like, I feel like you could have reassured them before. Yeah. Well, but you know, <laughs> this just made me think like, because Caddy's a redhead, right? Mm-hmm. How I picture her is like an immortal, like Kim Possible. <laughs> Did you ever watch Kim Possible? Yes. That's like that yes. exactly how I imagine her. Like, obviously, even more, like, better at fighting. And, like, then she's a vampire, too. So I imagine, like, Twilight, like, those kind of vampires. But that's what I picture her as. Because, like, they describe she's, like, in this body of, like, a very young girl. Like, she looks like a teenager. So. I always imagined her as Haley Williams, the lead singer of Paramore. Oh, Yeah. But also, like, short, redhead, skinny, like, because mm-hmm. I know, like, she has to have shorter hair than Kim Possible, but definitely, like, that same look, like, the cargo pants, the black tank top. Oh, she has short like, hair? Did they say that? Yeah, she has short hair. Oh, yeah, hair. they did say that at the beginning, I think. But, like, either way, like, definitely, like, the aesthetic and the energy of Kim Possible. Also, because she's, like, kind of snarky and kind of, I'll do it all myself. Yeah. You know? But I always imagined Hayley Williams from Paramore playing her in the show. I don't know why. But anyway. 
And then in the next book, so at the very end, we talk about what's basically coming in the next book, is they're heading to London to see Gilgamesh, the king, who is the oldest immortal human in the world, and Flamel hopes he will train the twins in the magic of water. Mm-hmm. And did you ever read Gilgamesh, the epic of Gilgamesh in high school? I don't think so. I didn't either. I probably should at some point. But anyway, it's like a big piece of like English literature, I think, but I never read it. Um, anyway, that's that Gilgamesh. And do you have any questions for me, Asia? I don't think so, because I feel like a lot of my questions are... Like, my main question is I just want to know exactly what happened with Scatty, which I'm sure we'll get right at the beginning of the next book. I don't know if it's right at the beginning, but we will get it soon. because I just want to know. That's the only thing I, like, really am like, oh, what happened to Scatty? Because, like, I miss her character. It's a really good story. Like, Scatty's, when she tells the story of what happened with her and Dagon, it's pretty, if I remember correctly, it's pretty awesome. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the story. Also, I have a question for you. When Flamel, not Flamel, when Machiavelli and Dee are climbing up uh, the Notre Dame, and they, Machiavelli is like, I'm so out of breath, and I'm so mad that Dee isn't, and I work out every day. And I was writing down my notes, and I was like, what do you think Machiavelli's workout routine is like? I was, like, I, I remember reading that, too, because I was like, oh, wow, because so they're, like, immortal, but, like, because he said, like, he's strictly a vegetarian, so I was like, dang, you're immortal, but you still have to, like, follow... You, you good, still gotta be healthy. You gotta keep the body together. Like, shoot, this is again why I'd want to be a vampire, where you don't have to worry about eating or anything. You just get to have a nice toned body. Don't have to do anything to work for it. But I, I don't know. I can't imagine. Maybe he goes on runs or something. I figured he was like a jogger or like covert Zumba. <laughs> this book was came out before Zumba got really popular. But like, I just feel like Machiavelli would have to do something like aerobic. But I don't feel like. But he's tall, so he could be a swimmer. But. Yeah, me. And also, like, France bicycle, for sure. Like, yeah. he could, like, take very romantic bike rides along the Seine. I don't really see him doing something like kickboxing, whereas I feel like Dee's workout would be, like, kickboxing. Like, causing pain to other people. I guess. I- anyway, I wanted to ask what you thought, because I was like, I wonder what Machiavelli's workout routine is. Oh, my God. Anyway, let's d- move on. Let's wrap this episode up, and next week we'll dive into Paranel's book, The Sorceress. And we'll be reading the first half again. We're doing the halves. So chapters 1 through 35 for next week. I can't get wet, wait to get into them. I love London. It's an amazing city. Plus, we're going to get a lot of Perry, which is awesome. So 1 through 35 for next week if you're reading along. And if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or want to talk more about the Nicholas Flamel series, you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there, and you can also get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and on facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I'm at cishieland on Twitter and Instagram. Remember that we're a relatively new show, so that make sure that if you enjoyed it, you rate it, review it, share it with your friends, share it with your public library. If you're friends with your old teachers, share it with your old teachers. That's what I did. And check out other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Again, this is a podcast, so you can't tell that we're laughing at... She's laughing at me. Not we're laughing at each other. She's just laughing at me. But... 
Check out the other awesome podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss us next week. Yep, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.